to Making Sense with Movies. I'm Elena. I'm Claire. And welcome to the podcast. It's been a bit, but we're back. Um, And this episode, we're going to be talking about Adam Sandler movies. So all movies starring Adam Sandler. He has his own kind of universe going on. Um, Some movies better than other. He really started out in the SNL world. So most of it is comedy. So we'll be covering, I'd say, mostly comedies, but then... He's recently sort of got into more serious roles, but then also goes back to his not so great comedies. Yeah, it's back and forth. He yeah. does some really great comedies and some really bad stuff. Um, have you watched a lot of Adam Sandler movies growing up, Claire? Yes, uh, growing up, I I feel like Adam Stan- Sandler is a guy who everyone loves growing up just because he's the funny guy. Uh, and I feel like the thing that's cool about his movies is everyone has that one movie that they grew up watching where it's like oh this is my favorite movie so yeah cool he just seems really chilled down to earth which you don't always get out of actors and actresses and he, I this can be a good thing or a bad thing but he also loves to work with all of his friends which is sometimes why you have this uh some movies that are not great and then some movies that are just the most well some of the most well-known comedies i agree i also watched them growing up Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad really likes them so kind of how i started watching them Mm -hmm. our first movie is a pretty classic 90s adam sandler comedy we're talking about happy gilmore you don't know what happy gilmore is about uh adam sandler plays one of um many many of the same characters where he is an adult who has no motivation in his life. Um, and essentially his grandma that raised him is losing her house. So he decides to enter in a golf tournament to win the money to buy the house back. Yes, because he started out as a hockey player who wasn't good, can't get on a team. And just like most Adam Sandler movies, he also has a girlfriend who we meet very early on who leaves him because he's not the best at what he does. But even though he can't skate during hockey, he's he has a great shot, which is why he ultimately goes on to become a great golfer uh, to win his uh, grandmother's home back after the IRS takes it from her. Yeah, and personally, I really like this movie. I think it's really funny. I ended up watching it with my sister, and I think one of the funniest bits. So in the movie, he gets coaching from Chubbs, who was like a professional golf player and he has like a fake like wooden hand and one of the kind of ongoing gags is his hand keeps getting like destroyed or he keeps gluing it back on and it starts falling apart so that was one of my favorite gags where like he'll just come back and all of a sudden his his wooden hand will fall apart which I really liked I thought that was just like a fun like physical comedy yeah that's the good thing about this movie is there's a lot of physical comedy that I think still holds up and we can talk about this with the other movies but with some of the other movies I feel like there are some jokes where looking back it's like oh I'm not sure that definitely doesn't hold up nowadays but most of I feel like almost all of Happy Gilmore holds up just because it's a lot of physical comedy and Happy Gilmore was always one of I think is still my favorite um, movie of his Oh, I've wow. seen it so many times. Yeah, I, um, I've seen it just so many times and to the point where there's going to be jokes where I'm laughing before they even say the joke because I know the joke's coming. 
Yeah. I think some of the best comedic moments, though, are from Ben Stiller's character. And he goes uncredited, yeah. but he plays this mean guy who's at the retirement home that uh, Happy's grandmother is at. And he's just such an asshole. But it's just so funny to watch. And he plays that character so well. Yeah, I was I haven't seen this movie in a, in a while. So I was like, oh, Ben Stiller's in this movie. He's like, he plays an orderly at the nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um and one of my favorite scenes is where he kind of like creates like a sweatshop for the old people to oh make quilts and happy comes in and he's like oh yeah like like it's fine um and then the grandma like starts to say like oh um I don't like it here but then he like looks at her at the window and is like nah like don't say anything um also want to point out because I thought this was a fun fact uh the guy who plays Chubbs Carl Weathers he's actually Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies? Yeah, Carl Weathers. And he plays a pretty big role in The Mandalorian, the uh, mm-hmm. Disney Plus series as well. I didn't watch that, but I thought it was funny. He plays like really like great boxer in, in Rocky. And he's also like a sports figure here as well. I liked his relationship mm-hmm. with um, Adam Sandler's character. I forgot his name. What was his name in this movie? Happy Gilmore. Oh my God, wait. I'm s- <laughs> 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 I like just completely forgot that fact. Yes, I, I just happy Gilmore. I always forget. I like their relationship. Um, you know, in the beginning of the movie that Happy's parents are divorced and his dad dies at a hockey game mm-hmm. when he was like eight or something. So he kind of has this father figure in Chubbs, um, and who he accidentally, accidentally kills. kills. Um, with you were saying with the callback with the, the alligator biting off his hand there was one sequence where Happy attacks the alligator because he notices that this alligator is missing an eye, which is what Chubbs described as the alligator he was attacked by. And as a gift for Chubbs helping him with putting, he shows him the head of the alligator, which he has in a very nicely wrapped box. And it causes Chubbs to tragically fall out the window and die. Which is a callback to a similar gag in this movie when um, Happy is like trying to fix the air conditioning unit at his the grandma's um, room in the uh, retirement home, and he starts banging it, and then it falls and it hits this woman. And he just goes, I, he's like, oh, I think I just killed this woman. I need some help, and she's just like flailing on the ground with the air conditioning unit on her. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty funny. Yeah, and then the. The other main relationships that Happy has is with Virginia, who is on the press tour for, uh, I don't know, the golf, the golf tournament. She's on the press tour for it. I think she's just the PR person. Uh, And they have a romantic relationship as well. And she's played by Julie Bowen. uh, And she's, I believe, the mother from Modern Family. Yes, she is. You would know her from. And then the other main character is Shooter McGavin. Who's just your uh, your classic golf player who thinks he's just too good for everyone, and he's very jealous of Happy now that he has this huge following. Since one of the one of the things I love about this movie is golf is such an expensive sport that seems very uh, restricted to a certain group of people, and that's why they everyone likes Happy being there. And even though he breaks some of the rules well on the golf course he's bringing in this newer younger audience to the world of golf and also like the idea is like they portray golf as very like stuffy and stuck up 
you know, everyone has to be quiet and things like that. And then happy, you know, he's yelling and having like a really good time. And, you know, people are throwing beach balls and things like that, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty fun. Scooter McGavin does have one of my favorite lines of the entire movie, which is I I eat pieces of shit like you for (laughs) breakfast. And then happy then um, says back, you eat pieces of shit for breakfast. Yeah, that's a good line. And then there's another random line when uh, Happy is talking to Shooter, and it's just so random, completely out of context. But he says, "Why don't I just make you some make some hay? I can just make things out of clay and lay by the bay. I just may. What do you say?" And it's just so random, <laughs> and like there's really no reason for him to say this at all. I'm just like, who thought of this line? But every time that's said, I'm like, that's just so funny. Yeah, one of my other favorite lines too. So throughout the movie, like. Happy's so good because he can get the ball really far, but he has a really tough time with shorter distances. So in one of the sequences before he starts to get better, um, he's like yelling. He's like, like his head is literally right by the ball. And he's like yelling to the ball. Are you too good for your home? Yes, I love that line. That's always one of those lines that I start laughing even before he says that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout the movie, obviously, he learns through Chubbs to think about his happy place um, to then like kind of, you know, get calmer so he can get the ball to a shorter distance. Um, and I loved, I like very vividly remember the happy place sequence where it's like his grandma mm-hmm. is having all this money and it's like Julie Bowen with like two pictures of beer. <laughs> And then, yeah, I just, I've always found those pretty funny. And, and still, I still think they're funny. It's like a fun, like visual gag with everything. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I really like about this movie, and I was trying to Google this beforehand, but all the shots where the ball's going flying in the air and the camera's following where the ball is going. Do you know the shot I'm talking about? Um, which it, one? It's just, it's just uh, the shot of, just flying through the air. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, cool. and I was yeah, yeah. Those were really cool, and I was trying to figure out how they did that because this was definitely before you could use drones for that sort of thing. But I I really enjoyed those shots as well. Yeah, I think this is definitely like a really easy comedy. Um, I think it's just fun to watch. It's short. Almost all of Adam Sandler comedies are are pretty in the sweet spot of an hour and a half, if not an hour and 45 minutes. Which is where they should be. Yeah, this couldn't go for any longer. I can definitely see him, like I would watch like maybe an extra 10 minutes of him training with Chubbs. I enjoyed that immensely. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, like I think this is a really fun movie. Trying to Mm -hmm. think of like what are some of my other favorite sequences. The Bob Barker scenes were... (laughs) Yeah, they have a Mm -hmm. celebrity like golf tournament where he has they pair like professional golfers with celebrities. So he's with Bob Barker, and this is when he I don't know has Chubbs died at this point? I'm not. No, he hasn't. No, Mm -hmm. I don't think Chubbs has died at this point. But the main thing was Shooter McGavin had hired someone to just talk talk to Happy while he was playing and just screw up his game. And oh yeah. goal was for happy to attack this guy but he ends up attacking bob barker because bob barker is also kind of chipping in and being like yeah like you're not doing a good job today um and they get into like a huge fight and bob barker is actually yeah and this that wasn't a stunt double double that was actually him fighting because they offered to have a bob barker stunt double 
And he turned it down. He was like, no, I can fight. And that also has one of my favorite lines where Happy says, the price is wrong, bitch. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. They have some good one-liners in this movie, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have uh, any other thoughts about Happy Gilmore? No, I think I, w- I would say it's pretty... Oh, there is one thing. I was So when I was watching it, there's... In the beginning of the movie, when Happy is... He just finished his first tournament, and he's talking with Julie Bowen's character. And he just has this, like, very full plate of fruit while they're talking. <laughs> And it's something that I specifically wrote down because I thought it was really weird. And it made me laugh because he he has this outrageous pile of like grapes and pineapple and just <laughs> casually talking to her while she has nothing on her plate. I don't remember that, but I'll have to go back and look. That's funny. It's, it's legitimately one moment. And mm-hmm. I like told my sister who I was watching it with and she's like, what are you like? She's like, oh yeah, I see it. But like, it's really not that important. <laughs> I was like, I know, but I find that odd. Someone put effort into that into yes. that fruit plate and whoever you are we, we appreciate, appreciate you, you. <laughs> that's a good place to end um mm-hmm. our next movie is the wedding singer directed by frank Corassi. um so this is a very 80s themed movie came out in 1998 though mm-hmm. and it essentially follows our main character who robbie Robbie, I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to remember his name in any of these movies. Um, Robbie, who is a wedding singer, if you couldn't guess, and he gets left at the altar by his soon-to-be wife, and he kind of has to, like, figure out his life and uh, figure out what he's going to do while he's also helping his new friend that he's kind of in love with plan her own wedding. Mm-hmm. And, and, she, really yeah, and she's marrying this guy. I think his name is Glenn, who's just a total jerk. Is it Glenn? Yeah. It could be Glenn. Um, And she's played by Drew Barrymore, which don't know if Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore have a very lasting um, professional movie-making partner. I don't know what to call it. Oh, well, they they were also in, yeah, they were in um, 50 First first Dates together as well. Yeah, which is a movie movie I I liked. Um, But I think this is the first movie they did together. I'm not sure. And was this your first time watching this movie or you have seen it before? No, my sisters have seen it. I haven't seen it though. I thought it was good. I w- this definitely wasn't my favorite of the Adam Sandler movies that we've watched for this podcast. I thought it was good. It was, it's predictable. It's easy to watch. Um, the only thing was like, I found just, I don't know. I found some of it like didn't age as well as mm-hmm. it could have been just in the sense of like um some of the jokes were just like poor I was like that's not funny you can tell like they were I guess it's because you can tell they were trying to be funny in a moment that wasn't funny Mm -hmm. yeah like I wrote down that same thing especially during the first wedding that they were having where there's some older guests who are like grabbing uh, inappropriately the waitresses who are walking around yeah Mm mm-hmm and Which then I- there's also someone else who's in Adam St- Sandler's band, uh, and he always plays the same, um, always plays the same song, and they make fun of him a lot just for the way he dresses. So that's yeah. something else where it's like this is kind of not funny and a little just completely unnecessary. It's also like a little mean. Like they yeah. make fun of George, who is the the guy who's the, like when you know Robbie wants to take a break, he'll come out and sing. Mm-hmm. 
and everyone like boos him which is really mean and then they also yeah. have um Robbie when after he gets broken up with he sings at another wedding and he starts like pointing out all the people who aren't gonna get married and he like really hams in on this guy mm-hmm. that's like he's calling him fat and like making fun of him I'm just like like you're so mean and everyone's like oh like we're supposed to feel bad for Robbie and I was like you're just like shitting on everyone else because your life is bad like that's not funny that's just like mean and unnecessary mm-hmm. and I think like he does end up becoming like a little bit of a better person but I was kind of like mm, like was that necessary in this whole movie like you could have had him just complain about his life and kind of ha- up had the same effect where he's like oh I'm not gonna be with anyone you know right like for that point he could have done because during that scene where he's making fun of all the other people who he says aren't going to get married he sings a song before that a bashing love and at that point we kind of get it where he's at right now his headspace so you kind of don't have to go on and say all those other things uh, I will say that out of all the movies that aren't uh, his more serious movies he's a really good actor in this though especially yeah. the scene where he's gets stood up at his own wedding and his sister has to come over and explain to him that uh, she's not coming you aren't getting married today He's really good in that particular scene. Yeah, he has a similar thing in Happy Gilmore as well, where, like, he plays someone with, like, a clear, like, anger issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of, like, Adam, Adam Sandler, especially in, like, those early, like, 90s comedies, where he kind of plays, like, a adult character who's not motivated to move on with their life, um, who's very much, like, happy with the status quo of their life same in some one of the other movies we think we talk about here but who's kind of like a man child like Mm -hmm. he he throws temper tantrums and he doesn't really have a lot of responsibility like here he lives in his sister's basement um and this is also similar to um happy gilmore his parents are both dead in this movie um there was that one scene where he runs into Glenn or he runs into someone else and he's, he's like, oh, my parents are dead. Do you want to make fun of that too? Oh my was, gosh. That was, I thought that was like a little bit funny, more of like a dark humor. And I think here, like he definitely has a bit more of like a dark humor because of what, of like what happened when he was younger. But he, like he, he knows the type of character that works well for him and it works. Like I wasn't like, oh, this is the same person from Happy Gilmore. I was like, this is a different, this is, the same sort of guy in a different situation, but it still works and it's still watchable and still pretty entertaining. Yeah, that's what I think too. Cause even you mentioned it was it is predictable, which I agree with. Cause you know, oh, the he's gonna go for the waitress and they're gonna end up together at the end. But the thing that I like about it, which does make this watchable, is it is enjoyable and you want to see Robbie and Juliet end up yeah, together just because Glenn is such a horrible guy. And I also like that all the music that's involved because this does have a really good soundtrack with all the 80s music like yeah, the ones that i liked the best was video killed the radio star hold me now uh china girl and blue monday so yeah, if good. it wasn't for the musical aspect of this i'm not sure how much more i would like it if it was any other person at the wedding who he or on any other job i think making him the wedding singer in particular uh was a good call because that brings a, just a much different element than having I don't know like him be a chef or a limo driver or something like that well I think also in the hierarchy of like what they're working at he has no power over her 
Like mm-hmm. he's not like her boss. Like I feel like if you worked in the catering company, that would have been like a weird dynamic here. It's like they're legitimately just friends. Yeah. And like their chemistry works together because he's just as excited to like plan a wedding as she is. And they have those things in common. You know, they go to his aunt and they help her sing for her 50th anniversary, which the aunt in this movie is so cute. She just gives yeah, people like yeah, noodles. Really- She's so excited. Yeah, that was a really good side story I liked. Um, I also like, I don't know who, who the actress is, but who plays um, um, Drew, Drew Barrymore. I forgot her, the name of her character. I wrote oh, it down. Julia, yeah. So whoever plays Julia's mom was also really funny. In the beginning of the movie, um, the mom's like dropping her off at work and it's like, oh, you know, the whole thing is the beginning of the movie. Glenn's not proposing to Julia. Like they, they've been together for a long time and he's not proposing. He doesn't want to rush it. And the mom goes, hmm, maybe you should consider a fake pregnancy. Oh, yeah. And then you don't have to have the kid as soon as you're married. I was like, oh, God. It's definitely like a cringy thing to say, but it was, she delivered it so well. Mm-hmm. Like she's just kind of oblivious and she just wants her daughter to get married. Oh, another, see that just reminded me, another scene I really like with Julia and it is at the very end where there's this whole mix up where uh, Robbie's ex-girlfriend shows up at the house and t- is taking care of him while he's drunk and he doesn't really want her there, but Julia goes to the door and thinks they're back together. So she goes on with, okay, I'm actually going to get married because he obviously isn't interested in me. Mm-hmm. And she's in her wedding dress at her house, just sort of practicing for the next day. And she's saying, it's nice to meet you. I'm Julia Golia. Cause that's his last name of um, Glenn. And I just thought that was, it was like funny, but also like, Oh, this is just really sad. Like there's so many moments where it's, like this is a little bit funny but I kind of feel like mostly sad what's going on here yeah um it's also like the scene when they so Julia has her friend who I think also like I I didn't like how they treated the friend a little bit so Julia has one of the friends the other waitresses who everyone just says like oh she's easy everyone will sleep with her sort of thing where I was like that joke's not necessary um because it wasn't uh... funny while watching it (laughs) Wait, was that, uh, I think that was her, um, Julia's sister, Holly. I thought that was, I thought they were friends. I didn't know that was her sister. No, yeah, they're sisters. Oh, never mind. I, d- I didn't, I had like to not pay attention during that part of the movie. But yeah, Holly, where everyone's like, oh, like, no matter, like, Holly goes on one date, like, she's going to sleep with him, that sort of thing. And I was like, it wasn't funny when anyone was saying it. It's still mm-hmm. not funny. But yeah. they go to the club because Holly is into Robbie because they've been doing all the bridal stuff together. And um, while they go to the bathroom, um, Julia and Holly, Glenn and Robbie are talking. And Glenn's like talking about, you know, hooking up with other girls while he's been engaged to Julia. And I was like, why are you doing that? Like, it was just kind of sad because you can see Julia like kind of really does love him. And he's just like playing her and being super mean. I was like, that's sadder than it is funny. And then there's at the very end, we have another classic trope where it's him running to the airport to stop the wedding and they end up being on the same flight. So we don't even have to get to a scene where there is a wedding to stop because over the loudspeaker, uh, Robbie plays a song that he made for Julia and 
they both know that they're on the same flight. And then Glenn's, I think, sleeping for most of it. Uh, and then, you know, happily ever after, they're together. Oh, when they get married, they show them having the wedding at the end. Yeah, that's cute. I did like the plane scene where Robbie is explaining to uh, all the people in first class. Robbie can only get a first class plane ticket. All the people in first class of the story, and they're all like listening on their seats. Mm-hmm. I like that trope. I still think it's pretty funny. Yeah, that um, was a good one because they're all like, "No way!" Like that happened. That's like crazy. can't believe that. And even like the stewardess, like the stewardess comes in and she goes, "This one guy tried to ask if I was part of the like want to be the Mile High Club with him," and and he goes, "No, who would do that?" Robbie, not Robbie, Glenn. <laughs> and you know what? That's how they knew. That's how he knew he was on the same flight as them, which I thought was, was pretty funny. And, and Billy uh, Idol was also there listening to the story. Oh, that's true. Yes. Billy Idol was there really, you know, was telling him that he could, you know, introduce him to the uh, record label guy, which I thought was pretty funny because, of course, you know, he, he doesn't amount to anything. He was going to be in a band, then he's a wedding singer. And of course, when he meets the right girl, everything gets together. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say is like the wedding scene in general, like none of the characters like change. Like, like Robbie isn't changing so much from the beginning of a movie to the end of the movie, more as that he's just getting a new girlfriend. Right, yeah, he kind of doesn't learn. He doesn't really learn that much. Yeah. Which is like, I feel like different than Happy Gilmore, oh, like at least in Happy Gilmore, like he kind of is like, okay, like I need to calm down in order to you know, get where I need to be. Like, I can't be, you know, this angry all the time. Or I feel like here he doesn't learn any lesson. Like, it's nice to see him fall in love, but like, Julia also like doesn't learn any lessons in the sense, like no one changes. They just kind of change partners, which is still nice. It's just like, you could have like added that extra step where it's like, oh, this movie can, could have been better. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Cause I was just thinking, and I really don't know. I'd have to, that'd be like a good thing. If I were to rewatch this movie, that's the thing I would look out for. Yeah. Um, anything, any last words for the wedding singer? Um, no last words for the wedding singer. I, oh, actually one last word for the wedding <laughs> singer. Even during the very beginning, I was sort of like, I'm not sure if he's that good of a singer. George was a better singer than he was. <laughs> I do agree. George had a good voice and should not have been booed. Like yes. George, George was just like Steven Tyler. Mm-hmm. Like just, just going with with the people, with what's what's hip. Like why I don't understand why people are so mean to George. Yeah, I thought he had a really nice voice. I I thought when I first watched that first scene, I thought George was gonna be the one who ends up being the the lead singer. And that's what what the plot was going to be about him trying to get uh, his own band or something. Uh, I quickly found out I was wrong. <laughs> nah, nothing changes in that sense. But if, if that happened, maybe he could have learned a lesson or two. Who True. knows? So he kicked him out of his own band? Because his band, so the whole thing is like in the movie, he like, he kind of like, you know, at the wedding where he's calling out all those people, he has a fight with the bride's father. And then he, he goes to doing like bar mitzvahs and his band goes with him. If mm-hmm. I was in the band, I would be like, no, wedding season is where we make our money. <laughs> like, let's, you know, break away. I felt that would have that would have made his low even lower, you know? Yeah. Just saying. I agree with that. When All they're right. doing the rewrite, they should they should really contact us. We have some good 
<laughs> Good notes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So then our next movie we'll be talking about is really, I'd say, Adam Sandler's, Sandler's breakout role of Big Daddy. I feel like this is where he probably got most of his popularity from. Yeah. Even though I hadn't seen this before. Um, and this is by the same director who did Happy Gilmore, uh, Dennis Dugan. A lot of, uh, and this, a lot of other Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, well. and this was the first time I was watching this. Was this the first time you saw this movie as well? No, I've seen this movie so many times. I, this, personally, out of the list we've done, this is one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies. Not because, like, in the sense that, like, he grows in this movie, there's a bit more at stake. Like, it's not just his life he's ruining. Um, if you don't know the plot of this movie, it's about Adam Sandler... I once again don't know what his name is. Um, Wait, hold on. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Sonny. 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 So Sonny, who his girlfriend breaks up with him because he has no motivation in life. He doesn't have a job. He pays with everything um, because he had like a lawsuit. Um, a cab rolled, rolled over his foot and he has a lawsuit he's been getting money from, and that's what he uses to kind of survive. He went to law school, but isn't a lawyer or anything like that. And essentially, when his roommate is in China for business, he this, um, this woman drops off her kid, who is actually his roommate's kid, and is like, here, take care of him. And Sonny decides to take care of the child, claim it as his own, say, oh, I'm actually the roommate, and does it to impress his ex-girlfriend who's going to break up with him to be like, oh, hey, I have responsibility now. And saying this out loud, not legal whatsoever. And they get into that in the movie. I don't think this movie could be made today. There's a lot of legal standings in which this would never work out. Um, but I think like he, like Adam Taylor does a really good job of like, you know, not only learning how to take care of Julian, who's don't know is played by Cole Sprouts and Dylan Sprouts, respectively, or both. Um, but also like, like, like there's nothing, you know, I don't know, he just, he, he learns like to take care of the child of Julian and then also, you know, help Julian as well, like come into himself, which I thought was cute. What did you think of it? This was your first time, right? It, this movie kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, not gonna lie. I, I just personally, I know, I'm sorry. Personally for me, I just think a lot of the humor in this wasn't for me because I feel like it was some humor just having to do with throwing up, peeing, peeing in public, spitting. So, That's and I don't know. It's a lot I just, of gross physical humor. Yeah, it was a lot of gross physical humor, which I wasn't a fan of. And I just think that the situation they put that child in I just feel like my philosophy is children need stability in their life. And I just think that I agree with the judge at the end of the movie saying, no, I just don't think he is fit to raise this child after he has lied and not done this the right way. So no, I 100 percent agree with that. So I think it's still a, it's a fun movie just because it's fun to see him interacting with a cute child. And some of the stuff they do is funny, like watching all the rollerbladers go down the hill that's a good scene running up to the mcdonald's and learning that oh it breakfast ends at 10 30 and not 11 like everyone thinks it does so there are funny scenes but overall uh i just think too many of the jokes just didn't work for me especially with there were so many jokes about hooters 
making fun of yeah. like the waitresses at Hooters, which that I, that just happened so many times. And no, I just I got sick of it kind of quickly. I agree. I think like definitely like this movie doesn't age and I see where you're coming from. There's a lot of like gross like vomit humor, like Julian Pizza's bad. That's like a lot of humor about it too. And the Hooter stuff, I didn't like, like rewatching this. I haven't seen this in a while. Like I definitely mm-hmm. didn't enjoy that. The whole thing was that um, his roommate who's played by John Stewart, I think. Um, yeah. His girlfriend who's a doctor used to work at Hooters and like he keeps making fun of her for it even though she probably you know made her living and whatever that's like a big joke in this movie and obviously like I didn't particularly like that because she's a she's a doctor she has much better things going on in her life besides this literal man child making fun of her but I still thought I don't know I think I just I think for me like the reason I still like this movie and I'll go back to it is because of like that relationship that Sunny creates with Julian like you know, they, like, he, he really does, like, care for this child in the end, and he knows, like, he wasn't going to keep fighting after the lawsuit. He's, like, he should be with his dad, because that's kind of what it's meant to be, and he's still in his life, and you can see how much Julian, like, also loves, um, like, I'll, I'll, he, like, loves Sonny, and I like that, and mm-hmm. also, like, you know, he, he kind of grows up in this movie. Yeah, and you can definitely tell that from the one scene where, they're taking Julian away from Sonny because that seems really sad to watch yeah. when Julian obviously doesn't want to leave and Sonny's really upset about it, trying to figure out the, white, the right way to explain this to Julian that, no, this isn't your fault. This is my fault. So that was a really good scene. Uh, and I also do like the courtroom scene at the end too, even though, I mean, I'm not a, a person of law. Me uh, but, <laughs> So I can't speak to, what well, oh, this is factually inaccurate, but like, there's a lot of stuff that probably would never happen in a courtroom scene, but I still really like that scene at the end. Yeah. And then I think also, like, I like this too, because the girl he ends up dating in this movie, like challenges him, you know, like, uh, one of the things in the movie is that he uses Julian to like, like get dates with, with girls, essentially, like, he'll, like he'll, Julian will come up and be like, oh, I'm lost. And then you know, he'll come out and be like, oh, there you are, like, Oh, because there's that great line of uh, initiating the conversation is half the battle when it comes to talking to women. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so I, li- I like that. And then she kind of calls him out where she's like, I can clearly see you're doing something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I see you, but then she also like, she kind of likes him. And that is that's Layla. I remembered her name um, and she essentially, what is, she's like a lawyer too. She works really hard and she has her own backstory in this movie where like her sister is um, John Stewart, who's Kevin, um, Kevin's partner. And she talks about, oh, like when my parents died, you know, my sister had to take care of me. So I'm doing all this that she doesn't have to do that anymore. And I think it gave her a bit more compared to some of the other women in, in some of the other movies, a bit more of a backstory and kind of a reason why she's like this, which I, I liked. And I thought she was, you know, she was funny too. Yeah, I like her character. I wish she was in it more. I had more Agreed. to do with the court scene at the end, but they yeah. do sort of make a big deal out of, she's got to decide on, does she go to uh, Julian or the, he? I guess it's uh, 
the custody hearing or does she do something that's actually related to her job in Washington, D.C. that she had already planned and yeah. she does decide to go to Julian's hearing. So that, that was also a big deal because that was the moment where it's like, oh, she actually does love me if she's choosing me over her job. Yeah, I I think, I don't know, I didn't see it as choosing him over her job. I kind of saw it as like, like, I guess it is like he, she does choose to defend him, but also she's also there for Julian as well. Yeah. Like, it's not just, oh, I'm choosing this man and what he wants. It's like, I can, I've seen them together. Like, I, I know that he's good for him. Um, like, I'm not putting this kid in danger. It's more like I'm just defending what he did because I've seen them in action, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I can see like how it's taken that way. And I think it definitely does have some of that aspect. Um, but I also, I just liked, I don't know, Adam Sandler interacting with Julian was pretty funny. Um, I liked like the kangaroo. Song. Oh, the kangaroo song. Yeah, I like the kangaroo song. And I like all the scenes where Sonny gives Julian the glasses that quote unquote makes him invisible whenever yeah. Julian is having a hard time or just wants to be hidden from the world until he's comfortable with the people who are around him. So yeah. I thought that was really cute too. I also liked Sonny's friends, the other lawyers. There's the two lawyers that are a couple. And then mm-hmm. there's that other lawyer, all of them. Also just hanging out with Julian also. Like, you know, helping helping Sonny when he, he needs it. And also giving, like telling. Also like basically like in the beginning, they were like, you can't do this. And then they were like, I guess they're doing this. Yeah, and they were fun too. And Sonny decides that really quickly because the couple at one point tells him, you should think overnight about the decision you're making. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. And then immediately calls up uh, the child services. services. Yeah, Yeah. social services and says, cancel uh, Julian going to that family. Like, I'm going to keep him. And then just hangs up. Yeah. So that was was a a funny bit. I also like the bit where he dresses up as the scuba squad guy yes that Julian was had been too. misbehaving in school and basically doing what he sees Sonny doing and Sonny kind of realizes that he's like oh look I haven't been a good role model for this kid that I'm taking care of so he dresses up as like his favorite scuba guy and he's like you know what like you gotta help out like you have to you know not be mean to kids and not trip them and things like that and you have to study and then it's like this whole montage of him like helping him study and do better and then they have the cute little um play with all the kids oh right costumes. where he's um ben franklin Frank, yeah ben franklin mm-hmm. that yeah that was a good scene i forgot about that scene yeah and he's like so proud um but overall like i, I like this movie at the end of the movie obviously julian goes to live with kevin and his girlfriend who they're engaged um but and they stay there obviously but at the end you kind of get like a flash forward after a year and it's Sunny with Layla, they're together and, and yeah, they, they have, have a baby. Mm-hmm. And he's a lawyer, like he's you know, has his own job. So in this one, he really did he learned a lot in this movie. Yeah, he did. He learned a lot in this movie, and that's all you could ask for in an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. Does his man child character change? Yes or no? Yeah, he's- no, he he changes in this movie for sure. That could be what what we vote on for all the Adam Sandler <laughs> movies. And Happy True. Gilmore, does he change? Yes, wedding singer. Yeah. No, no. Big Daddy. Big Daddy, definitely yes. Definitely yes. Um, I feel like Big Daddy is one of the most out of the three comedies we've discussed so far. Out of like the most drastic change. 
from mm-hmm. the beginning to end. But I, I can see why if you have never seen this movie and I had watched a lot when I was younger. So like, I think I definitely like, um, you know, I have nostalgia for it. So I, I don't like not like it as much. But I definitely can see watching it for the first time. You're like, oh, like this definitely isn't as funny. That's as Elena says it is. (laughs) No, and that I definitely understand the nostalgia aspect of it because that's how I feel with Billy Madison. Because I used to watch Happy Gilmore all the time and Billy Madison, and Billy Madison's definitely one of those movies where, if I was to watch it again today, definitely wouldn't stand up as well as to when I watched it when I was a kid and didn't understand what was going on. That's true. Yeah, there's definitely jokes here I understand more now. Mm -hmm. Um, The one joke I definitely didn't like. In this movie, it was when he, there's like a whole montage scene scenario where he kind of just lets Julian do, like, do what he wants. Because he's like, okay, I'm going to let Julian do what he wants and he'll pick the good choices mm-hmm. um, for himself because he knows like what's good for him. So he gets him like a slingshot and Julian like kills all the birds on their rooftop. And I was like, even watching it now, I was like, what is happening kind of impressive though i feel like that'd be impressive hard to yeah do. he's like six years old <laughs> and if there's like 20 birds there i was like what is he doing and then at, at sunny is just like okay you're gonna go inside like what did you do <laughs> sort of scenario like oh we're gonna discuss this later um i also liked when sunny ends up like introducing julian to vanessa who's his ex-girlfriend uh he's like they find out vanessa is you know, dating someone else, dating a much older, like, professor or something like that, and she's she talks about how, oh, I'm with him because he, you know, he knows what he wants, he has a five-year plan, and Sunny just goes, what's his five-year plan, don't die? <laughs> that was, a, yeah, that was a good line, too. That was a good line. Mm-hmm. Any other last thoughts for you on Big Daddy? Uh, I don't think so. I, there's some s- stuff I definitely liked about this movie, but I, I overall, I think I'm just more mixed that's all right um our next movie is punch drunk love uh directed by paul thomas anderson and i would say quite a short movie for paul thomas anderson oh yeah for sure and and this is one of those movies i've been meaning to get around to because i feel like i'm paul thomas anderson he doesn't have like an insane amount of movies i forget how many he has but i think at least five if not more yeah i've only uh, seen like two this is the one of them so you've seen yeah. now phantom, phantom thread and this, and this oh, you, have you seen there will be blood oh you know i started you, that movie and i didn't fit i started watched like 10 minutes and i was like yeah i'm not in the mood to get into this and then i've seen most of boogie nights boogie nights is a movie i saw like when it was randomly on tv and i just didn't get to finish it mm-hmm. um i still haven't but, but yes but punch drunk love when everyone talks about paul thomas anderson this, I feel like, is normally one people like more than the others. So this was, I had a lot of hype going into this. Oh, and really? I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought it was good. I don't think I like it as much as his other movies, though. Definitely not as much as Phantom Thread and yeah. There Will Be Blood. But what I did like about this movie is I feel like you can go back and rewatch it a lot and notice small things each time you go back and watch. But essentially, it's about... Barry and he's dealing with two different situations one where he was scammed into giving his social security to this woman on the phone who he was talking with and sex, he's being sex work like yes sex, and, a sex line essentially. yeah it's a sex line 
but he was really just doing to have someone to talk to. Yeah. So that's sort of one thing where he's being threatened for his money. And then the other is uh, Barry trying to find, or Barry kindling love with the main love interest, whose name is uh, Lena. And mm-hmm. while this is both going on, we it's mostly just about Barry and his state of mind because yeah. he's got anger management issues and you kind of see where all of it comes from because he has these seven different sisters who are all very similar and they are always kind of nagging on him. Yeah, that's a good word, nagging on him. And we just sort of watch Barry go about both of these situations throughout the movie and how he's handling everything. Yeah, I agree with the sense that like, this definitely isn't my famous Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but this is on the list of movies on my letterbox where it's like movies I, I like didn't think I would like, but I actually do like. Um, mm-hmm. I, this is the second time I watched it. The first time, truly, it was like randomly on TV and I just happened to be sitting down when it just started. So I was like, you know what? I'll watch it. I do like certain aspects of this movie. Like I love the coloring are very specific like Barry wears this very bright blue suit Lena wears usually all red either a dress and a cardigan or some other outfit and Mm -hmm. I like how how it's shot the camera is usually if not is usually always moving it's following someone or it's following some sort of action but it's not like nauseating which I I appreciate (laughs) Yes, because they'll switch back and forth between steady cam and handheld, depending yeah. on what's going on. So if Barry's in control of the situation, it's going to be steady cam. But then when things start to go wrong, it switches to handheld, which was it's uh, like a, good a really move. good choice. To, yeah, really good yeah. choice to make. Uh, and yeah, like you were saying, he's got the blue blazer, just a lot of blue kind of to represent yeah, a lot of blue. W- what state he's at right now. Um, yeah. And the other thing, because this is my first time watching, that I had to get used to is it switches back and forth between very quiet conversational scenes to just like crazy stuff sort of happening out of the blue. Like at first, he's just sitting in his desk and inquiring about uh, frequent flyer miles that he's trying to collect on different groceries. And then he goes outside and there's this horrible car crash that happens that he's watching. Yeah. So that was definitely something I had to get used to, but I also thinking about it now, do like how they transition back and forth that quickly, just because it kind of reflects Barry's own state of mind, how he can be fine one minute and then completely very angry, angry the next yeah. and bashing windows, uh, destroying bathrooms, stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. I remember that car crash, even I watched it for the second time and I was like, oh, I completely forgot that happened. Um, and I can see that's definitely like a good idea where it, reflects his state of mind because it does do that and it'll also go through kind of different motions where like he'll start out his day at work and he'll get a phone call from his sister and then another sister and then another sister and then all of a sudden one of his sisters is coming into his office and it's the music starts to swell and get really intense and he's trying to juggle like four or five things at once um which I thought was like really entertaining to watch it's kind of like chaotic but in something where I was like it's not too it's not hard to follow but it's fun to watch yeah I wrote that that down too especially about the music because they play the same music that's really intense and really picks things up also when they're showing Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and he's the main villain on the scam side of things and it's funny that they well not it's funny but also tragic that 
they're also playing the villain song for all of the sisters just because it gives uh what's his name did I say yeah Barry just Barry. so much anxiety yeah I can yeah I can see that too um so in the beginning of the movie he becomes like you have this opposite what Clara said the conversation about the frequent fire miles which the sense is like you buy some sort of meal from healthy choice and you get a certain amount of miles and he becomes obsessed with getting it even though he doesn't travel and he doesn't seem like he will travel throughout the time of the movie he's just obsessed with getting the mile so he could if he wanted to and he wants to like scam the system that's the idea and then so he buys all this pudding it's just in his office and it's a big topic of conversation is why do you have this pudding but instead of like saying this is what I'm doing he becomes embarrassed by what he does and he just lies he lies quite a lot in this movie mm-hmm. um especially to his sisters like he'll say he's going to the birthday party and then as soon as one sister is like oh I'm going to bring my friend I want you to meet he's like oh I'm not going and I think also like his mental state has very uh, is reflected very heavily on his relationship with his sisters um when you first meet all of them they're calling him like they're like oh remember that time we used to call you gay boy and we used to like make fun of you and rag at you and for them it's like a really joyous time and you can see him become like so uncomfortable yeah the sisters don't help at all and, I just and even they notice. even when yeah that's what I was thinking too they don't notice and I'm not sure even if they did notice if they would try to help because it seems that this has happened for him being aggressive like when he was breaking the windows and if stuff had happened like that in the past it's obviously not something that they've tried to help yeah yeah so um beginning of the movie he has to go to a um he goes to his sister's house for one of their birthdays and um he they talk about the story of when he was younger he was building a dog house and all of a sudden he threw a hammer through a sliding glass window and they're all joking about this. It's like, oh my God, this is so funny. And they're like, why? Like, why were you doing that? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't remember. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then like legitimately, like two minutes later, he like punches through, like and kicks like three like slide glass doors and they all break. Which then I think goes to one of the sadder parts of the movie, which was Barry talking to his sister's husband. Who's a, a dentist. dentist. <laughs> and he's like, can you help me? Um, he's just kind of like, I don't like myself sometimes and I get really sad and he's like, oh, this is confidential because you're a doctor. And he's like, I'm a dentist. I can't really help you. Um, and then he just kind of like breaks down and cries. Like he clearly has, like, he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do with his emotions. So he'll go into like fits of rage and fits of like being very upset. And then um, the dentist goes and tells his wife, which is like, well, if he wanted to be confidential, he should have just kept it confidential. Yeah. And this like kind of event that happens what, is what kind of brings him to calling that sex line. Cause he, cause he tells the dentist, he's like, I feel like I have no one to talk to. Cause clearly he can't talk to his sisters. He lives by himself, but he doesn't like have any friends. He doesn't talk to his coworkers. So he calls that sex line. He gives them his credit card number, his address, his social security number, all his things. Work I would, phone number. His work phone number. Mm-hmm. All th- no, he doesn't give them his work phone number. Are you they, sure? I think th- they definitely called the office number. No, though. they did. And he's like, how did you get this number? I think oh. they found it out. 
mm-hmm. but which are all things you just wouldn't give someone over the phone. I feel like I feel like that should that shouldn't happen. Yeah, that specific part gave me so much anxiety because when uh, the the worker was asked and her name was Georgia when she said, what's your social security number? You can see him hesitating. And I was just screaming through the screen. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give away your social security number. But he does it. And then the next morning she calls and she's like, oh, you know, so funny. She says she lives in LA um, and how she wants, she needs money for rent. And he's kind of on the phone and we're in this hallway shot and the, the music starts to get louder and the camera starts to close in on him and he's like, I can't give you that money. Bye. And hangs up and leaves. Um, and then all of a sudden, which happens to be one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when um, the sister comes back with the girl she was supposed to bring to dinner, who she didn't. Um, oh my God. Lena. What's her name? Lena. Totally forgot that. Lena comes in who we now know it's from the beginning of the movie who brings her car to get dropped off at the um, mechanics, which is right next door to Barry's office. And she leaves the keys with him to give to the mechanics because she has to go to work. So now we know they kind of had like a cute talk and, um, you know, now they, we know it's her. She's met him before already. And as the sister is bringing in Lena, he keeps getting, getting calls from Georgia like, give me your money. You closed your credit card. You're going to regret this. And while all this is happening, the sister is getting angry because she wants Barry to go to lunch with, to breakfast with, with Lena to, to like get to know her. And then while this is happening, he's lying about the weird piano thing he has and he's lying about the pudding. And then he's also trying to get one of his coworkers to go call some guy, which is obviously another lie. And the music just gets louder and louder and it goes in between the phone and him and Lena and all the other people. That happened to be one of my favorite sequences because the camera just kind of moves slowly and then starts to cut in between everyone. Yeah, that was really well done, especially the sister's dialogue in that specific scene. I forget the line she says, but uh, about going out to lunch, it was almost like not what she was saying, but what Barry was hearing just because it was so different from all the other dialogue within that scene it was just so much more aggressive where it's like I'm not sure she would say that in front of her friends but uh Barry's sort of a little bit of an well not an unreliable narrator because I feel like he's telling us the truth but we know that he's lying to everyone else so I feel like that specific scene he's seeing his sisters in the way that he truly sees it and not actually what she's saying yeah and I think also like he lies because he's so used to his sisters making fun of him. Yeah, he's like, he's he, like lying knows, to protect himself. Yeah, he's like, he knows if he says, I bought all this pudding to get free frequent flyer miles, they're going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? You're so weird. And just yell at him. And he obviously like can't handle that. Yeah. Like, I feel like if his sisters were to like really get on him about something, he might break down. Um. I, what I do like about Lena is that Barry's like, oh, you know what? I can't do it. Lena goes back and is like, I want, like, I'm going to dinner. Do you want to come with me? Like, she's like, I like him. I want to see him again. And she doesn't like let him and his weird lies and things like that get to her. Yeah, no, Lena was a good character. 
I feel like out of all the movies, this one could have been a little bit longer just because I wanted to see more scenes between Lena and Barry together. Yeah, I think they were some of my favorite scenes because right after they decide to get dinner, um, we meet Philip Seymour Hoffman's character who's running in Utah, um, this kind of sex line where obviously they're scamming people into giving them money. Um, And then he decides to to kind of... um, bring these four guys to Barry to get money because he changed his credit cards and Georgia, that's obviously not her real name, um, is like, he said he was a businessman. He said he had a, like, he seems like he has a lot of money, which we as the audience know is definitely not true. So they send four guys. So while four guys are going to go find him, we see like their um, Barry and Lena's dinner date. Which I know, what did you think about that date? <laughs> Um, I, I kind of don't remember what exactly were they talking about during that date? Was it just general things? And then, yeah, it was just general things. Then he like freaks out in the bathroom. Yeah. That's see, that's the part that kind of overshadows it for me. Cause I don't remember their conversation. I just remember him going into the bathroom, destroying everything and then coming out. And I have written down that the waiter was super nice because instead of saying stuff in front of the table and accusing him of destroying the bathroom in front of her, the waiter like pulls him aside and be like, did you do this? And he's like, no, I didn't do this. And he's like, okay, but like you did this because you were, yeah, your hand, yeah, that your hand is bleeding. He's like, oh, I accidentally just cut it. And the waiter was like, okay, well, you're definitely lying and kicked them out. And then Lena was still with him after that that too, which I feel like at that point, unless I got a pretty good explanation, that would have freaked me out just a little bit. Well, I don't think he, she knows about that. Yeah, I don't think she does either. But and it's still like being kicked out of the restaurant and having your hand bleeding. It's like, oh, what's kind of going well, on here? Well, if you remember, she, in, it's during the, this conversation before he goes to the bathroom to destroy it. Um, she says that she saw his picture on her, his sister's like office. And she purposely dropped off her car so she could meet him. So that's where I realized like she's very much into him. Like they're they're both intense in different ways, but like she likes that about him. Mm-hmm. And I think like she likes his weirdness and it's kind of like he's into different things. And he likes that she's she's like she's into him and she gets what she wants. Um, but also before he destroys the bathroom, she talks about once again the hammer story that we've heard before. I feel like it's very much a trigger for him. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think she, think she knew about the bathroom. Um, I did like, though, the waiter is, like, where um, when they're, he pulls Barry out and they're talking, he, Barry's like, oh, I didn't do this. And he's like, you have to leave. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving. And he goes, sir, I'm going to crack your fucking head open. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, we're going to go. He was just <laughs> the guy who delivered that line. Such a good job. He's just so dead on about it. I'm trying to think what else I liked about this movie. I definitely, the scam plot line was more interesting to me, I think, than the romance plot line. I feel like that's where they could have beefed it up a little bit more. Or uh, that's a good point that you had before about she's, I wouldn't call it manipulative, but she's also, I I don't want to say not truthful because she does tell him like, oh, I I saw your photo and I was the one who dropped off my car. But it would have been nice to get like one other scene like that to show that they're like, 
their similarities. Yeah, I think I think that's why they, they did that. Um, but also like I did like the scam plot line because that's when you know he gets after the date, after they kiss, um, he gets beat up essentially. And that when he's running away from them, it was just so dramatic. Oh, and then they roll by and they're like, we know where know you, where you live. live. I, that was funny. And then, was... But then the next time they come back after Lena and Barry have a more established relationship, he totally gets, well, he gets ham. them. Yeah. And that scene oh was God. great. That was just so satisfying to watch it him was. just go after all those guys. Yeah. So once he realizes they know where he lives, um, he's like, you know what? Like, because Lena had mentioned in the beginning of the movie, she's going to Hawaii. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go to Hawaii. And I think, like, in the love story here, if they both weren't into it, it would seem very, like, creepy. Because, mm-hmm. like, like, she goes to him, like, without really knowing anything about him and, like, purposely meets, he goes to Hawaii for her. Um, and I think if she wasn't as into him, it would this would have been like a bad a love story, but truly, like I think both actors sell it. Yeah, because it is kind of um, ridiculous. And, and like if this, like, like definitely creepy if you're looking at it for just like basis what happens. Um, I do like the part though when he's like, you know what, I'm gonna use my frequent flyer miles, and the guy's like, it's six to eight weeks. Oh, right, yeah. And I was like, of course it is. No one thought you were going to get this right away. Um, like, he so thought out so many things that he didn't, like, think that part out. I wonder what that's based off of. I wonder if you could get those frequent flyer miles. Because it kind of reminds me of, too. like, I always go to the grocery store and they always have the Monopoly game during the summer. And I yeah. always play each year and you never win. That's true. I do wonder... Um, and then trying to think, yeah. So then he goes to Hawaii and he has a really intense conversation with his sister. Um, so during this parade, which I really like the shot of him kind of huddled in this phone, like phone booth while this like parade is happening. I thought that was really funny, but he like really like goes off on his sister. So he's like, oh, Lena forgot her pocketbook during our date. I want to give it back to her. Just give me, I know she's in Hawaii. Just give me, you know, the name of hotel or her number so I can call her. And the sister's like, I know that's not true. I know she has her pocketbook. What, what do you want with her number? What do you want with her number? He just freaks out. He like, he starts cursing at her. And he's like, he's like, don't do this. He's like, just give me her fucking number. Just give it to me. And he's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And the other phone conversation that they have in Hawaii that I like is it yeah or no the other conversation between um Lena and the sister is when the sister oh. calls Lena saying like oh your brother or my brother was asking about you like did he try calling you or anything like that and Lena's like oh I've got absolutely no idea what you're talking about and I really like that scene as well yeah that was the scene where I was like okay like they're definitely meant to be together yeah before when like during the restaurant I was like okay she clearly very much likes him and she's on that same intensity level it was when she lied to the sister that I was like they they understand each other in a way that maybe I don't understand their relationship yeah and actually talking with you about this now I kind of understand their relationship better because now that I can kind of see that 
she was is like kind of on his level because the first time I was watching it I was like oh I'm not sure why this works but it it, it does work because even before this they're like they have this the scene where they're in bed and she's like oh I like your face and he's like I want to take a hammer and I want to smash your face in and she like takes that energy so and gives it back to him <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like I want to eat your face and I was like oh they're they they like enjoy this um I do like the scene when they, they see each other in Hawaii and they're like silhouette um you see them kiss yeah that's like the main photo they always show like I think that's even the cover on the DVD yeah I think so too it was it's good it, it does it and the song that plays I really like that song um I don't know what it's called oh and all the colorful interludes they have too like at the beginning of the movie it's very yeah. like artistically done. It's very abstract. Um, and I read somewhere online that maybe that was done to show how important the like the music was to mm-hmm. this movie where it's, uh, we talked about before where it's whenever the sisters come in, it's like all this dramatic tension that builds up. Yeah. Um, but I just added like a different, it was just very stylistic, I guess. Yeah, no, I was definitely like, I don't think those those like colored interludes were necessary um I did find them like slightly confusing because I did think it was the first time it happened I was like oh this is the intro let's go it was not an intro it just went straight to the next scene I think Mm -hmm. the next one that happens is in between before they go to dinner and before we see Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and I think the last one is what one the last color interlude is there's three of them I know um, oh, maybe I it's before he goes that. to Utah. I think it might be that. Um, but so after they've kind of like solidified their relationship, they go home. He, the four brothers are back and they want more money. Um, they crash his car and he beats the shit out of them. Good for Barry. I know. Good, good for, for him. him. Stand up for yourself. Um, and then the one thing I will say is, so he takes... Lena to the hospital because they were in a car crash and he like full-on leads her mm-hmm. which car, Lena calls like, yeah Lena calls him out, out on it later she's like you can't do that to me ever again yeah she stands up for herself but I was like dude what are you doing because he he wants to kind of like get this under control so he like calls the hot he figures out like where they're calling from um and he you know, tries to call him out. My that's also one of my favorite scenes where it's Philip Seymour Hoffman on the other line of the the phone, being like, "You're a pervert. You shut up." Because Barry is like full on yelling, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is just as like irate and angry and like trying to get to him that they're both just yelling at each other and nothing is happening. Yeah, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's so good, and he's only in it for like definitely less than fifteen minutes. Yeah, he's probably no, he was in it good. for like five minutes. Yeah, he did a good job. He was funny. Um, I liked his character. Um, and then eventually Barry actually goes to Utah and like full on confronts him. And, and, and I guess, I guess the, the, like physically going there confronting him, he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna like harass you anymore. And that's I, why you always have to stand up for yourself. That's true. So I feel like in Punch Drunk Love, he did learn his lesson. He is standing up for himself more and he learned to love. Did Adam Sandler's character change in this movie? Yes, yes. he did. Yes, he um, did. And then it ends with their relationship. 
Which mm-hmm. I, I kind of I like the end scene where he's playing that I think it's called a harmonica or mm-hmm. I don't really know what it's called. It's not a piano. It it's it's not. a word like it's not harmonica like the thing you play with your mouth. It's but it's, but like it's something a, that sounds, sounds like, like that. that. But it um, looks like a piano. Yeah. So he's playing it and she kind of comes up behind him and she's like, "Okay, let's do this." And I was like, I I, I like that ending. I thought it was good. Um, it like solidifies their relationship, and like mm-hmm. he full on is like, "You're gonna support us." Yeah, and I I like this movie. I feel like I definitely do want to go back and rewatch it just because, like I was saying before, there's a lot of small details that you could pick up on to lead to the bigger story and more details about uh, what Barry's thinking, stuff like that. Yeah, I yeah, I think even seeing this movie for a second time, like you see um, different details. I do love like the cinematography of this movie and how he shot it. Um, kind of like the shots of Barry coming he he kind of like works in this garage I guess um, and there's a lot of shots of him kind of walking through to his office the garage to his office and walking back and forth and other people coming back and forth and the camera's kind of following them and then I like that I like the kind of coloring it's very blue in this movie and I like when specific characters wear specific colors I don't know why it makes me very happy did this um, movie win any Oscars no, I don't think so. No. I can um, check, but I don't... You know, I don't think... I don't know. I'm not seeing anything here. Oh, that's, like, kind of surprising. Did it get nominated? For any Oscars? Uh, not that I'm seeing here. I could be wrong from my two seconds of research, but I don't think it did. <laughs> two <laughs> seconds of research. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, what we on this podcast too so no we do more research than that but oh um yeah. i am looking at other so i'm looking at other awards it won it paul thomas anderson won best director at the cons film festival 2002 oh he's actually tied with another director kwan taik i'm um, for a movie called painted fire and then he was nominated for the palm d'Or, which is like i guess the best film I don't know what other films were that year, but I don't know if I could agree with that. I do like this movie. Even watching it the second time, I thought it was enjoyable. Um, you know, you don't lose anything. I, I still thought. think out of um, Adam's uh, serious performances, the one we're going to talk about next is still my favorite, though. I would agree. So if you don't know what best serious performance of Adam Sandler we're talking about, Get out from under the rock that you're under (laughs) because it's uncut gems. Yeah, it's uncut gems. A movie he, he, when we talked about this in our um, Oscar nominations, like reaction podcast from from 20 nights from the 2019 Oscar season. Oof, what a time. Um, He should have been nominated. He is amazing in this movie. He is an actor I didn't think he could be. Yeah, he should have been nominated for Best Actor, and then I think it should have been nominated for Best Sound Editing and Best Costumes, too. I agree. I think Screenplay as well it could have been nominated yeah. for. Directing, they do a great job, too, but that was it was a pretty stacked year. Yeah, no, it was it was a good year. And this is by uh, the Sackey brothers, Benny and Josh, who are now, I feel like, sort of the, the kings of chaos movies. Yeah, because everything between good times and this movie, everything's just so chaotic from beginning to end. Like when you pick up, it's like our main character, um, Howard or Howie for short, 
as <laughs> his mistress Julia likes to call him. Howie. <laughs> um, I, he just has so many strings attached to him, owing people money, involved in all these different things, even when we first meet him. So the whole movie essentially is about him trying to get this black opal back. Uh, and he gives it to Kevin Garnett, who's from the Boston Celtics. And that's the main story, him trying to get the opal back before he can sell it for auction. And then while that's going on, while you're just trying to do that simple thing, which just seems impossible to do, you have all these other characters coming in and out of his life, people from his family, Julia Fox's character, other people from his past who he owes money to, who are yeah. all these little distractions trying to uh, get back something from Howard that, because he's a little bit of a screw up. He's someone he you're rooting is. for. Because I feel... Yeah, because I felt like even though he makes so many bad mistakes and he's so self-destructive, you're still rooting for him just because it's Adam Sandler and you kind of root for all of his characters a little bit. Like, that's the kind of character actor he is. Yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, like, I want to see him succeed and he keeps on making mistakes. But, you know, he's he'll come up on top eventually because sometimes he's down, but then sometimes something good happens. And that's the really fun thing to watch about this movie. Yeah, I think also like the reason you're kind of rooting for him because you're like, can he pull this off? Mm -hmm. So like this whole, and watching this movie for a second time, I do think it's, it's enjoyable. I really liked it. I do think it loses some of its value because you know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like I initially saw this in theaters. Um, I think we're almost one of the last movies I saw in 2019. Um, I saw this with my sister and we were like, I was like clutching, like covering my eyes, like clutching the seat, like getting like, you know, fidgeting. Cause I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's making me very nervous. And the second time I watched it, I was like way more relaxed. Yeah. I like, because I watched it in theaters too. And that's just such a great setting to watch it in because the yeah. ending scene, everyone gasps at same what happens. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely the second time helps with where Howard is putting bets yeah like, like you understand what he's doing uh, definitely the second time mostly because I have no idea like betting wise what he was doing the first time watching this movie and now it makes a bit more sense um so I feel like just a quick relay on on what happens just so we can like under say it now and then like not talk about it again he gets the black opal and um what he does is he, Kevin Garnett is like, I want it. And they were like, okay. And he was like, no, I'm selling it to auction. Kevin Garnett was like, no, I need it to play tonight. It's like a good luck charm or something. And he hears that and he's like, you know what? If it's his good luck charm, I can bet on the Celtics and win. So he takes his ring as collateral, gives his ring to a pawn shop, gets that money, uses that money, um, said, first sends a picture to the the, the people he owes money to to say, hey, I have money, then uses that money to then bet on the Celtics and then um, wins, so gets that money. And then I forgot what else he does. He still owes money to, to Arthur. Poor Arthur. Uh, not Arthur, Arnold. They call oh, yeah, Arnold. He's, this, he's this little guy who keeps on showing up. And at one point, Howard's like, do not let him in here. Do not let him in. Yeah, like, we don't want, we don't want Arnold. Um, he owes money to other people too. And then, so once he gets that money, 
he has to get the stone back. Once he eventually gets the stone back, he puts it to auction. And Newsflash, which if you watched any of this movie, you'd realize Howard definitely does not know what, he, what he's talking about when it comes to gems. Um, the stone is worth, worth much less than what he said it was. He said he would get a million dollars. It sold for, I think it was $190,000 only because he got his father, or I think it was his father-in-law, not his father, um, to bet against Kevin Garnett. So he can up the price. Oh, um, that scene was so hard to watch. That was so, I was so nervous. I was like, what's going on? Um, and then Kevin, he doesn't even sell it to Kevin Garnett because Kevin Garnett won't go over 190. So then he owes his father the $190,000. And then he gets 175000 from Kevin Garnett and then uses that to then bet on the Celtics again. All that money. So that's like his, that's his betting scenario we got going on. Now you know like kind of what he's doing with his money. We can kind of more discuss what actually happens otherwise in this movie. And one of the things that, because there's all that going on, there's one specific scene where he's in his office and he's getting about seven different phone calls of all this betting going on at once. Yeah. Like from Kevin Garnett's lawyer because he called Kevin threatening to make a lawsuit if they didn't get that black opal back. And also the doctor calling him from earlier in the movie with just regular test results. And then you've got, I think, uh, Julia Fox's character calling him and then someone else calling him, I think. uh, Oh, Damani, who comes into the office. who's played by Lakeith Stanford, who's really good in this. Yeah, and he's like, I want my watches back, bro. Well, he's in the office. And then he also has all these phone calls going on. Um, and then I think that's when Damani shows up and, or maybe that was a scene earlier, and then kills all of his fish because he's so frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the one thing about Howard is that he's kind of lying constantly. So he puts on this facade that he's a trustworthy person. And you see this in the beginning of the movie. Um, when he sees his mistress, Julia, she talks about how, oh, I'm trying to help you sell this Michael Jackson on a cross, you know, diamond necklace. Talks about, oh, she has a picture of the weekend um, with it, which just happens to one of my favorite lines of the movie where she goes, he's going to be major, even though he's from Canada, um, <laughs> which I like. So obviously, the weekend's newest album is great. Should have been nominated for a Grammy. We're not going to discuss that. Very, okay, that's another another episode, totally unrelated. But <laughs> unrelated. They but should sh- have been nominated for a grammy unbelievable um I sorry <laughs> okay no no we can talk about that a whole other day yeah but and then he goes and sells this or he pawns it or he sells it you're not, i'm not really sure about that part to a different jeweler and then later in the movie this guy goes oh where's my michael jackson cross i was keeping it with you so even then like when you think it's that's his that's something that he created it's not it's someone else's he's mm-hmm. constantly taking things in to keep using that, selling it, and then trying to get it back when he has more money to then give it back to someone. So, And you can feel the stress buildup just because of the way throughout basically the whole movie, there's so many layered sounds because you've got like foreground dialogue, background dialogue, things, calls in the background, the radio in the background, other people talking in the background. And just there's so much noise. It's almost overstimulating. And it is like that the whole entire movie. Yeah, it's always, like, the noise and what's going on is always on 100. And, like, besides what's going on in Howard's work, you also have the fact that 
he has his mistress and then he also has his wife that he's going to divorce, but not quite yet. And he also kind of loves her. Uh, she's played by Adina Men- um, Men- Mendel. Menzel. 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 It was pretty, I, I have to admit, very iconic in this role. Uh, loved her. Yeah, no, she but, plays a, she's got a smaller role, but she does a great job because you know that as his wife, this is frustrating as hell, everything he's doing. Yeah. And she's really the one who's like, we have to get divorced. And he's kind of trying to hang on to it a little bit. Um, and she, I don't think, she doesn't have any idea that he has a mistress on the side too. No. But I, I do think really- she would care. Yeah, she probably assumes it's going on though. Um, and Julia Fox plays Julia and I love, I love their relationship because I honestly feel like they're the ones who are in love with each other. No, I think they, they do in their own way love each other. Like she clearly loves him. Yeah. Like there's like, she, she loves what he does and she loves like this environment and like, yeah, he pays for her apartment um, that she lives in. Very nice apartment, but also like she's helping him out and um there's this one scene where he goes to a club because the weekend's performing and she's been trying to get the weekend, you know, to buy, you know, jewels from him. And she's in the bathroom. They're doing Coke in the bathroom. And Howard comes looking for Julia. And some guy goes, oh, I didn't want to tell you they're in the bathroom. And he starts to like beat up the weekend, which I loved. And then him and Julia have this like full on like meltdown fight, like yelling at each other in the streets of New York as they're walking down for him to get a taxi. It was insane. And then like, and then at the end of the conversation, she's like, oh, I still love you. Like, I'll see you at work. I was like, oh my God. And it's definitely the kind of relationship where it's like, yeah, this is probably like the fifth time this has happened. Like this is probably just a regular, they go through this, they get back together sort of thing. And, like, truly, I'm going to say this, she was helping him out. Yeah. Like, she was trying to, like, you know, get business for him. And Howard couldn't see that. Um, I'm just going to say it. But I also, it's before this where the school play scene scene happens. His daughter is in a school play, um, whatever. And some of Arnold's goons, I'm going to call them goons, I don't know their names, are there. And he decides to talk to them. He's like, he's like, this isn't cool. And they're like, well, Arnold wants his money. Um, and this is where we finally see Arnold, I think, for the first time. And Wait, would it be Arnold or is it Phil, who's like part of his family? No, Arnold is the one that's part of his family who he owes money to. Oh, okay. I get the, I got them mixed up then. Okay. Phil, I think, is the other guy who is kind of like the goon who does like the physical mm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, of, you know, like beating him up and whatever. And they take him and they strip him naked and stick him in the trunk of his car. And then his wife has to come get him and says everything about their marriage. She's like, not even that shocked. She's kind of like, what are you doing? This is your daughter's play. Yeah, it's just like, okay, I don't want to know what's going on, but go get clothes and come back in because we're going to miss our daughter's part. Yeah, I, I was just like, oh God. Like, I can't, I can't imagine being married to this man. He sounds terrible. Yeah. Like, and then Enjoyable to watch. You'd want him to do well, but like, would not want to be in his personal orbit. Oh, definitely not. And then we should talk about the ending scene because like you were saying, he bets a bunch of money on the Celtics and just like a few different things, really. 
It's a three-way parlay. Remember that. And he wins big. All of his problems in the world are solved. He can pay everyone back. And then he gets shot in the head. Honestly, so, like, essentially what happened, and re-watching this movie, there's definitely a bit more, like, foreshadowing to his death. So in one scene, um, the, the guy who ends up killing Howard, Phil, he, at the beginning of the movie, they come in, they're like, where's my money? And uh, what ends up happening, and then they come back later, but this time Kevin Garnett is there, so his bodyguards are there. So they, they throw him out, and leaving, Phil kind of goes, I'm going to kill you, which is obviously pretty much what happens. But then also in another scene where he's pawning off the Celtics ring, he tells the pawn guys, oh, if I don't come back by Friday, I'm a dead man. Now it's like, oh, very much foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is once he sells the stone back to um, Garnett, he sells the stone to Garnett, he gets $175,000. Um, Arnold and Phil and the goons all come in. And they're basically like, we want that money. That money's ours. And he decides, instead of giving it to them, I'm going to make a bet and make even more money. So there's a great scene where he tells Julia to leave to go to the store next door. And he passes her the money in a bag across the window, across the, like, outside. That, that was I such a good shot. shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she makes all these bets. She has this old guy, which is kind of like a joke in the movie, who's kind of like this old guy who like flies her there on a helicopter, but he keeps wanting to talk to her. And she's like, no. Yeah, no. he's really into her. And she's just she's like, not I have to do this for Howie. She's just all business making these yeah. bets. But then it kind of works out because uh, the goons come and try trying to find her and the money. And she has a place to go and goes up to his a room where he's ordering food service yeah. and they're watching the game and he's still trying to talk to her and like hit on her a little bit and she's like no no no, like just be quiet I'm just trying to get the game on and see if how he wins yeah so while that's happening she's making the bet all of Arnold and Phil and everyone is, is in the jewel shop and he and how he goes I made a bet like it's it's gonna work out for me I know it will so they're like you know what I want to leave I want to find Julia whatever so and throughout the movie, there's, I guess in the jeweler shop, there's like a door and then you have this kind of box and then another door you have to get in. But there's a certain buzzer you have to buzz in to, to get into the jewel shop. Obviously, for security reasons, they probably do that. But you've seen throughout the movie, it doesn't always work. And at this point, it stops working and when they want to leave. So they're stuck inside this box where they can actually get outside. And Howie, instead of being like, you know what, I'll let you leave. He goes, I'm going to keep here and I'm going to make you watch the game. Which I was like, as soon as he did that, I was like, why? Like, they're already angry at you. He's just too overconfident because he knows knows he's going to win. And he does win and then then he loses it all. Well, he, he wins and then he lets him out. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll get you your money, whatever. Um, and Phil ends up shooting him because he's like, I don't fucking care. Like, I already hate you. Like, you just stuck us in that box for like three hours. And then Arnold, oh, I kind of feel bad for Arnold a little bit. He's like, I don't know. Um, but he like, he's like, he like you can see his his disbelief when he realizes how he's won. He's like, oh my God, like I'm gonna get all this money. It's great. And he's like, okay, 
you know, like, why, why are you doing this? And Phil goes, you know what, stand there and don't move. And then he obviously tries to leave, but doesn't realize how the door works and then gets shot also. So they both die. And then Phil is just getting all the jewels. That's kind of it. And then- Yeah, and it ends with this psychedelic, uh, the kind of the same opening they had where it's just like very psychedelic, almost like a lava lamp ending. Yeah. Um, and then it, it kind of like goes into his bullet wound. Um, mm-hmm. The same way the beginning of the movie like went into the his colon and also mm-hmm. his colon. Um, and then I'm trying to think. I, I really liked this movie. I thought it was nice. Oh, my think about Arnold. That's what I wanted to say. So you realize um, this was before he, the, before the auction. So before the whole like Opal auction stuff, they had like Passover, the Passover meal. And you realize Arnold is like his brother-in-law, essentially. Like his, his wife's sister married him. Mm-hmm. And he's very much in the outs with his family. Like, no one really likes him because he's not Jewish. So he doesn't know anything. And then like, he's kind of made fun of for that. And he's kind of like seen as kind of like a schmuck of a little bit. When really like it's, I found it funny because I was like, oh, you know him as being like this big guy. Kind of, you know, gets people to beat, like gets people to beat up Howie. So I thought it was kind of funny that he does that in his, like in his real life. He's not seen as like this like stronger, tough guy. He's yeah, kind of belittled in his own kind of like family life. Mm-hmm. But and I just I love that the way they introduce him, where you know they just have such a beef at the beginning of the movie, but you have no idea why, and you're like, what led up to this moment? Yeah, and then later to learn that they're in the same family it was just kind of uh, shocking the first time you notice that. Yeah, but I think it also it's like knife in the wound, where like they clearly like Howie better. Yeah. Like, you know, they like Howie better. You know, he's into basketball. Um, you know, he's smoking cigars with them. He has a much closer relationship. And then, like, Arnold comes in, and it's, like, awkward. They're, like, like uh, one of my favorite scenes was, like, um, the, the father-in-law is, like, you know what he said to me? Happy holidays. Like, it's Christmas. <laughs> I was, like, I love it. Um, one of my other favorite scenes, just, like, the details. Um, was when Julia gets the tattoo. That was so, my favorite scene. That was so funny. That was so funny. It was really good comedic like timing where, so at this point in the movie, the they had just sold the opal um, and he he's talking with, you know, Arnold and the other guys. And he's like, I'm going to get the money. You know, Kevin Garnett's going to gonna give it to me. And they were like, okay, we don't care. You told us it was worth more than it was. And so they beat him up and they throw him in the fountain. And he comes back to his office and he's like, everyone's the day off, like leave. And Julia comes in and she's like, I love you so much. Like, I'm sorry this is happening to you. Like zip up my skirt, I got you something. And it's a tattoo just says Howie. And she's like, no. <laughs> he's, she's, he's like, why'd you do this? And she's like, because I love you. I got it for you. And she's like, no, we can't be buried together. <laughs> I thought it was oh so it was funny. I just it was so sweet on Julia's part she was one of my favorite so. characters like she I love her too because like she you can tell like she does love him and you know like she really was like thinking about him being like oh I think it's gonna be a really sweet gift but clearly doesn't know enough to be like mm-hmm. oh like he, that, that's how he would take it mm-hmm. but then also like I love like when she was with the weekend um 
where she like clearly has her boundaries set. Like she knows who she is. She knows what she wants. And she knows how to like set her boundaries to be like, you know what? No, this isn't happening. Even with the old guy, she was kind of like entertaining him enough to be like, I can use him, but not anything further than that. Yeah, no, she definitely, her decisions were pretty smart in what she does to help Howie yeah. out. Yeah, I was, I, yeah, I liked her a lot. Um, but overall, like really enjoyable movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely recommend seeing it. It was the first time it's like a really kind of like adrenaline factor. And we talked about Good Time in our A24 podcast. It's also like the Safdie brothers just really know how to, hone into like chaos and panic and just produce a movie out of it yeah what what's the next project the safety brothers are working on do they have another movie lined up um i think they have a tv show i'm not sure but um, yeah i'll be i'm interested to see what they're going to work on next and it'd be cool to see them do a movie next with a female lead instead of a male lead yeah they did have a movie called heaven knows what which was um about um like a female heroin addict mm. and her life in, in New York City. But oh. I would I'd be interested to kind of see they go into a lot of like kind of like not the like kind of unseen like New York worlds, uh, which I thought I think is really nice and like good time and heaven knows what and this movie as well. But I was reading this whole article about like they've been trying to like make this movie for like 10 years. Like this is the movie they wanted to make before they had they had done good time but they just like they couldn't get it made um and they were like so specific I was reading a whole thing where they ha- they had gone through a bunch of different basketball players because they wanted the the games that he played to actually be right and they need a specific uh-huh. game which was he won the game the team won they lost and then they won so after they went through like every basketball player, like, okay, it has to happen at this portion in time or it has to happen at this date. But then they were like, okay. Then they went to like different like singers to be like, okay, like maybe that doesn't match or the basketball player then couldn't do it. Found it very interesting. They could have like very like easily like made something up, mm-hmm. but they wanted it to kind of be based in a reality where like, oh, this could have happened. I think it's just really interesting and really goes into like the screenwriting process. Yeah. And why I think they should have been nominated. That's my tea. Mm-hmm. The other thing specifically about the basketball and the theater that I was watching it is in is the team they beat at the end is the Philadelphia, uh, the I, I think it's the 76ers. And that so that's like Philly's team. Everyone's a fan of them in our area. And we yeah. saw them losing and we were all like, oh, come on. What are you doing? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely made this a lot more enjoyable when I was watching it. Yeah, I would say overall, you know, Adam Sandler, ha- he has the range. He definitely has the range. And uh, our, our final question, uh, Elena, did did Howie, did he learn anything in this movie? No. No, no. He, he did, did it, and then he died, so he can never learn anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this just like, it like happened to work out for him. That was, that was kind of the thing, but nah. Adam Sandler's character did not change in this movie, but he was just as enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is so random, but the other thing I was thinking of is 
out of all the movies we talked about, all the names are so similar. Wedding Singer, we have Robbie. Punch Drunk Love, it's Barry, kind of mm-hmm. Y name. Happy Gilmore, Happy, obviously. And then Sunny, they're all like Y ending names. And Howard Shorn to Howie. That's true. Like, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I literally didn't notice that. But if you can't tell, if you're listening at this portion of the podcast, I barely remembered anyone's name. So that's not surprising. I'm sure someone out there has a whole different web of how all the different Adam Sandler universes connect. Universe connect? I'd love to see that. That'd be very funny. Mm-hmm. Well, um, any last thoughts before we you know, end the podcast? Um, if you haven't seen Uncut Gems, it's on Netflix. So everyone should definitely watch that movie. Yeah, highly recommend. Well, thanks for listening and have a good day, week, month. We'll see you next yeah. time. Bye. Bye.